Hello everybody and welcome back to the Agile Pubcast after our long summer break. This is episode 69 and this is a recording of a live pubcast that Jeff and I did on Jeff's YouTube channel when we were up in Manchester for a couple of courses we ran the other week. So it's a little bit unedited this one and there's a few questions that come in from our listeners. Uh, They cover subjects like aligning coaches around a common message, uh, the word firefighting and how much that can uh, impact people's responses, Uh, job titles, junior, senior and how that makes an impact on people's performance and also a little touch on body language after a book that I'm reading at the moment as well. So there's a whole load of things in there. So this podcast came from a pub in Manchester called Peveril of the Peak, an old-fashioned looking pub from the inside and out. Uh, And it did remind us of a familiar TV show from our youth. But uh, it's time now to put the summer to bed and get on with it. And as always, we have to start with our familiar jingle. Here we go. Hello everybody. Hello. Hello Jeff. Jeff. Cheers. Long day. Mm. Long week. Not over yet, mate. Over halfway through then. Jeff and I are um, teaching two classes together this week in Manchester. Yeah, we're in we're in Manchester. We've done an advanced CSM, and we're halfway through an advanced product course. And then, and then you're off to the cricket again. Back to the fifth test. Mm. When does it start? Dead rubber test. The Friday, uh, Thursday, tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow yeah. Come on. We are. We're in a, a quirky pub. But quirky pub that um, was suggested by one of our Twitter followers. Yeah. Who was it? I can't remember now. Burns, uh, Burnsy. No, Burnsy, was it? Anyway. <laughs> I don't know. They suggested Hevel of the Peak, and it was an intriguing name. So we're here. And it's quirky. It's got a little, couple of little sidebars. It's got a really old-fashioned table football table. Really Anti-old old-fashioned. Uh, it's the layout, isn't it? Darts board and jukebox and things. And very... Hmm. It's got character. We don't know its story yet. We're trying to find out its story. It's um, all it says here is it's got the. It's been run by the city's longest-serving landlady. Landlady, even. Evening. See, city's oldest serving or longest serving. Longest. Longest serving. How long has she been landlady? Yeah. Forty years. Forty years. Apparently. Well, what's the name? Doesn't say. Well, they they serve a decent pint. This is a a Mancunian school. Hoppy Blonde. Is that the one you've chosen? Yeah, Hoppy Blonde. You like a Hoppy Hoppy (laughs) Ale, don't you? Hmm. (laughs) It's not particularly strong. (laughs) Bit floral. Why would you? (laughs) Bit citrusy. (laughs) And taste wise. Light, slightly tangy, very drinkable. 
That could disappear after a long day. That could disappear. Is it strong? Mm, it doesn't taste very strong. I, I'd say of four and a half. Don't know. Didn't look. How about you? I got you a, a reveler, uh, which isn't from these parts. No. Revelers. I don't think they make much cider up here, do they? No. Um, but I've had reveler in my local pub actually one of my local pubs it's nice it's quite strong I think actually really? I think it's like a 4.8 it's that's, that's not strong for a cider though no it's strong enough for me after a day's work but it's nice it's cold so who have we got online Can you tell me who's online then you tell me who's online so for the benefit of the um, if you're not watching this live we are streaming this live on Jeff's YouTube channel we should explain that yeah more people will watch it recorded so um, you can watch this back on YouTube I'm assuming yeah so it'll be on YouTube and you can see and say hello to us hello we've got a couple of people on any any topics you want us to discuss today any questions on our follower you talking to me or talking to to the listeners Who, who is it? Do you know who it is? Have they, have they revealed themselves? They, they've said hi, but um, they didn't quite catch the name. It's quite small on this phone. They were there ty- typing frantically. Um, we'll just sit quietly. Yeah. Wait we'll let it sound, shall we? Oh, there's four listeners now, look. Sorry, just moving upstairs. That's fine, thanks. I apologise. Me and Jeff looking particularly sharp because we've just had our hair, not just our hair, but our, my beard has been, had a bit of a trim. And I must say in my reflection, I'm quite pleased. Hi Husey, how you doing mate? So, um, yeah. You're all looking particularly... It's like, and it was almost like it was the guy was measuring it to get the, the shape right. It's a bit of a perfectionist, was it? Oh, very much so. Yes. Do you normally get your beard done with the barbers? Never, I, I think I've had it. No, I don't think I've ever had it like professionally trimmed. No? No. I do like a nice wet shave now, yeah. But I'd spent, for me, it was an expensive, it was £30, which for me is an expensive haircut. It's not expensive, really. Well, for me, it is. It shows. Mike the Barber normally charges 12 It's worth it, mate. £12. It's worth it, you look good. No questions then, no questions on no top of the we'll, oh, we'll just make it all up. Day, no, no we'll make it up, we'll, we'll think, we'll think so. Um, what can we see around here? Oh, here we go. Not joined yeah, you for one of these yet before. Anything, Anything off limits? limits? Well, test us and we'll tell you if it's off limits. It's not kind of an ask me, ask us anything. <laughs> it's spark a conversation, we'll, we'll have a discussion. There are kind of rules of sorts. I've just come back off holiday. Have you ever done a podcast on holiday? I'm not sure when this one will go out. Well, this one's going out now. You had a holiday moment in the course. You've got something that you really should have remembered. What was that? It was the Sea of Organic. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was explaining, explaining an acronym that I helped create. And you just lost yourself at sea. You forgot it. Yeah. Happens. I just, I just, after a good holiday, my first piece of work back, I forgotten the Agile Manifesto. I've been off enjoying myself so much. Kind of an essential part of the, uh, the role. Yeah. What was it? What was it? Uh, something to do with people. <laughs> <laughs> Documentation, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. 
I think I think I've covered it. I don't think anybody noticed. I find though I've got a really good, uh, incredible long-term memory. We I, we might have discussed this before. Hence my I really should know if I've got a good long-term memory. You got the long-term memory, but I've got short-term memory. I've got a terrible short-term memory. Yeah, I'm the other way around. I lost my keys before we came out. Couldn't remember where I put them. Oh, there's a question. Most effective way to have group that coaches alone on a specific practice. Oh, it's gone. Got a team day on Friday. How, do, how can I get that back? It's the way I can watch it from my phone. Oh, hold on. There's a, there's a chat down here. Let's put the chat up. All messages are visible. We've seen it before. So how to get a group of coaches aligned on a topic was, was what I saw. How um, to get a group of coaches aligned on a topic. Why would why would we want that? Yeah, we need to ask a bit more context, really. While they're typing. Yeah. Imagine a bunch of internal coaches who, um, if you put your heads together, could make headway on, on a... Well, how do we do it at BT? This is a, a bit of a callback. Well, we had regular... But we focused on one program. Wow, that's not true. Wow. Four of us focused on one program, two on another. So that's a piece of work. We need to speak to a single voice through the organisation or internal coach. Okay, so you want you want a more compelling, cohesive story. Um, oh, I think... So we, we had a conversation today, which was to do with um, stakeholder influencing. And they were trying to... The, the, the actual context doesn't matter, but they were, they were trying to pitch a product. And the, the instinct is to try and come up with all the reasons, all the benefits that, that product has. Because part of, part of our sort of human logic, if you like, says that the more arguments you have, the more convincing you are. If you can come up with ten benefits, then you're, uh, it's, more, it's better than having only eight benefits. But actually what, what we tend to find is that people focus on the weakest argument and that's what they remember. So by adding extra information you could be undermining yourself and actually detracting away from the strength. So make one clear case, tell one clear story with one clear benefit and if you can tie that in to some specific personal pain point that when you say the organisation, yeah. whoever it is that you're talking to that's representing the organisation is aware of and, and, and actually cares about, then repetition is going to be your, your friend there. If you've got the same story being retold and retold by multiple people, it's more chance of sticking. That's not necessarily answering the question. Though. Well, what was the question? How do you get a group of coaches aligned on a single topic? I think you need to. My, my instinct there is, why wouldn't we be? Is it because we are not clear on what the most important, pressing thing is? Do we all have our own opinions as to what's most important? Um, we had a problem in BT with spreading ourselves too thin. We only had like, in the early days, maybe six, six, seven coaches. But it was we were making no headway by being 
across six or seven <coughs> programs. Yeah, we were sort of chipping away at little bits yeah, rather than but not making any. So we re a lot of us, four of us, went on to one the one D program. Why was that chosen? So and what was the what was the message behind that? What was the what was the how did we know we were making headway with that? It was pulled. Our help was pulled. It was by Greg, who was a friend. It was a kind of a favour, wasn't it? Was it a kind of a at Sean's level? Um, he, I think he just made it clear that, 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 that he was receptive. So it's a, it's a good point from Alistair. We'll come to that in a second. So the, the summary from, from the first thing was: um, Can can you agree? On something that's important. It doesn't have to be the most important. Arguing about what, whether it's priority one, two, three, that's probably wasted effort because any of the top three, four, five items that you could agree on is probably worth focusing on. You're going to get significant value from. So picking one of them that you can all agree is worth focusing on is, um, is probably the most important thing rather than picking the most important. Um, and then yeah, that's something you've got to come together on, isn't it? Mm. Actually physically come together, mm. either in the virtual world or in the same physical room, mm. and have that discussion about it. Um, so there was another comment there from, from Alistair, which, is there any benefit in trying multiple options? Yeah, there is. Um, and so Paul, you were saying there about the programme that we decided to focus on, mm. we got a very clear signal that... I wouldn't say leadership as senior management, but there was appetite for it. That our help was sought. Yes, we weren't pushing against the closed door. No, we weren't. We were welcomed in. Yeah, and you might not know where those open doors are. So pushing on a few of them, see which ones give, might give you the opportunity to to find a, a few quick wins. Well, I think there was an appetite to make a big splash wasn't there there was kind of it wasn't a particularly easy program we chose a, a cots pro, uh, package which oh, yeah, it's got to be something worthwhile right something yeah. difficult enough for it to be meaningful because we the pushback that we got is well well that's all very well but it won't work here it won't work there so we had to choose something that could answer a lot of those questions yeah but no there was several little small weird you know we were there was lots of contacts, it was all about networks, wasn't it? These are internal coaches that had a lot of internal contacts. Alan Al would, would go out and find people that he was working with, a lot of well-connected in the Ipswich area. There was a supplementary point which I think is, in, is, is, is a bit different to our situation. So it flashed up there that there were lots of strong opinions and egos. Right. Amongst the coaches? Amongst the coaches. No, we didn't have that at all, did no. we? No. It's something that I've been talking about with... Um, with, with, with a, at a company that I'm coaching at the moment. Now, in order to become part of a team, so if these, if these agile coaches are going to consider themselves a team, anyone who becomes part of a team sacrifices a certain amount of their individuality mm. in return for that acceptance into the team. You get the protection of the team, you get the support of the yeah. team, you get... Um, you know that, that that collaboration, but you have to give up a little bit of your own selfishness. I wonder if there's more of an effort you have to do, especially with maybe external coaches, that are contract coaches, okay. to have to work harder to bring them together under that united banner. Yeah. Whereas we were all internal employees. 
so the greater good was already at the forefront of our mind whereas we had a few externals didn't we that came in they, I mean they towed the line to a degree but they didn't I don't think they were ever as invested as we were no they had their own ulterior motive their own agenda for proving their worth correct yeah so Different, for furthering their yeah. career yeah. Yeah. not necessarily furthering the team there's uh, another question that just popped up there which I think is related it wasn't I don't think it was intended to be related but I think it could be which is what are the, some of the powerful questions that you can ask to motivate people towards continuous improvement um, and for me I think that well there's, there's, there's an interesting phrase there which is motivate people towards continuous improvement whereas I, I have the theory that most people have an intrinsic motivation for continuous development as long as they feel capable and safe to do so most people don't want to stay static they, they, they would like the ability to develop things which is why people have hobbies in their spare time and so on yeah. um, so it's not necessarily a question to help people want to improve my powerful questions would be more around what do you think is stopping you from improving and what would what would allow you to what do you need to feel more able feels like we should mention the change equation Jeff okay all right so I um, know what that is so we we, we, um, we believe that people go through either consciously or unconsciously uh, kind of mental calculation when it comes to change so this could be around continuous improvement and the benefits of continuous improvement have to outweigh the costs of the continuous improvement in this case so if, if the benefits didn't outweigh the costs why would they do it it just wouldn't it just doesn't make any kind of sense and the costs don't have to be financial costs they could be emotional costs they could be energy costs they could be opportunity costs they could be all sorts of you know, fear of failure they could be fear of um, judgment all sorts of different things. all different things that come into cost so that's the, that's the basic equation benefit must outweigh cost but because nothing is certain apart from death and taxes there's always a chance that you decide to give something a go and it doesn't work so there is a chance that it will fail so when you include the probability of success which is always going to be less than 100% you are um, discounting the benefit therefore the benefit side must significantly outweigh the cost side. So if you're coaching somebody and they're thinking about doing something, whether it's continuous improvement or they're thinking about uh, taking on a new role or uh, giving a talk, whatever it is they're thinking about doing, then helping them explore both what are the potential benefits to you of doing this yeah. now and in the future and also what costs do you see and how could you potentially reduce some of those costs will help make it a little bit easier for people to do that sounds a bit sadistic but we talked a lot about this today but it's pain it's just the word it's, it's trying to associate where is your if you can associate a lack of change or a lack of improvement with pain something you can't do right now or something that you're, you struggle with right now something which frustrates you right now all those are painful words negative emotions I've, well that's probably highlighting the potential um, or the lack of benefit isn't it mm -hmm. lack of the lack of the ability to do something yeah and that can create some kind of desire mm -hmm. one of the most powerful 
tools that I've found is visualizing yes. the future. So if you can create a mental picture of a future where whatever it is that's under consideration has actually happened, so you have gone through a process of continuous improvement. Or a future you. Yeah. Or you have come together as a group of coaches and you have delivered a strong message to the organization and it has the organization has responded as a result. Actually describe that situation as if you are there. Describe coming into work that day after the organization has taken that message on board and made whatever change. Describe what it's like to do your day job now. Describe the, the relationships that you have. Describe mm. The atmosphere in the office, all of those things, making it a little bit more real and attaching yourself to that mm. increases the desire to make it happen. It makes it more real rather than just some abstract concept of, well, things might be better if we do this. Something we do in our advanced Scrum Master. Mm. Good question. Any other questions? Any other questions? Change the subject, change it up, change it up. Glad that helped. Good. It's nice to get some thanks, isn't it? Yeah, you're nice welcome. Adrian Robin, do you have any suggested techniques or practices to help stop an organisation firefighting? For example, project one is running late and over budget, so they're pulled from other projects. Um, hmm. Stop firefighting. Yeah, so basically knee-jerk reactions. I suppose putting into... I mean, I mean, the change equation kind of comes into play there. You can... Perhaps the benefits of... And I'll, I'll, I'll bring a phrase in. Temporal discounting sounds quite clever, but when you think about it, it's not really. But temporal meaning time, discounting meaning um, sort of reduction of value. Generally speaking, as human beings, we're pretty bad at placing an objective value on the future. We tend to value, overvalue the present at the expense of the future, which is why a lot of people find it hard to put money aside for savings and pensions and uh, invest in their development and things. The, the short term hedonism, if you like, of uh, immediate gratification generally takes precedence, and that's 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 that comes to mind here as an organisation. We can see the immediate threat. We can see the immediate benefit of moving people from one project to another to fix that fire, but we don't necessarily think about the, the actual consequences, the downsides of doing that. If we do, we tend to apply a discount because it's in the future. But for most of you in the agile space you'll be familiar with the concept of technical debt, which means actually there's going to be a compound problem to that, that uh, you're sacrificing the future. By the time you realise it, that sacrifice will have compounded, uh, multiplied. Um, so imagining, visualising the future for that project that's, or that product that's being compromised, I think would be a good technique for that. I think a lot... I think a lot is to be said for the word firefighting as well. Okay. And even, and I'm not blaming you, Robin, but I think that's the metaphor goes a long way. I mean, because it's not the first time it's I've quite heard. Cool, isn't it? It's Put it, it sounds dramatic, doesn't yeah. it? And increase it probably increases stress. Um, it probably creates the the it's designed to create urgency. But I imagine. I mean, there are obviously some things when things do go wrong that need to be sorted out. But it's probably, and we talked about that this a little bit this week, if your instinct, as a scrum master especially, if your instinct is to 
react, solve, sometimes there might be value, even though it might be quite, and I got told off with this a lot in, B in Nokia, not so much BT, but in doing nothing. <laughs> not, not, not through ignorance or through um, carelessness, but just trying to process and de-dramatise um, de it. Mm. Because our, our boss used to, I mean, our boss, Den, bless him, lovely guy, but he, he hit the phrase he used was, um, you know, firefighting or what fires have I got to put out today to create the sense of that we're in a constant state of emergency. Mm. And that just raises stress levels, surely. It feels good. It's a, a good question. point. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, so I relate that. So I'll ask the, just through a question out there: Is it possible to identify earlier on in in the process to see if smaller changes can be made before it becomes a fire? And I think that's for me the question that I would ask leadership in this situation: Is what kind of organisation do we want to be? What kind of behaviours do we want to be encouraging? Because if we, if our instinctive response is to sacrifice or compromise the stable for the benefit of what's on fire and we're almost deifying the firefighters you know, yeah. that's what we value people who can put out fires then you you might be you might see a lot more fires because that's how people in your organization see leadership valuing and also if leaders are always the ones that spot the fires or that raise the emergency yeah they'll constantly be expected you'll get a lack of ownership from the development team so mm. I kind of, I kind of um, relate it to, which is probably very bad and patronising, but the idea of you, you don't really want to reward Hero dysfunctional behaviour. Yeah. Right? So if, if your child's throwing a tantrum because they want attention, the worst thing you can do is give them attention. Because you're just going to learn that throwing a tantrum gets attention. Um, Letting something get to a state where there's a fire means you get extra people, you get extra budget, you get extra resource. Well, then my incentive is to manufacture a fire. Maybe. Yeah. Um, and I think when I mean certainly from my experience, when you have a conversation with leaders about the kind of messages these things send out, they kind of realise actually, yeah, that's probably not the kind of behaviour we want to encourage. And. Maybe it's just me, maybe it's just my experience, but actually when you look at the real consequences of not putting out that fire immediately, they aren't as drastic as we imagine them but to be. This might be an opportunity, so look at this as in a situation that those leaders or whoever's doing or whoever's creating that sense of panic isn't necessarily doing it deliberately to create panic, but they want uh, adaptability. They want Flexible, some kind of degree of flexibility. They're not doing it, hopefully, to deliberately piss people off. No. So what's, the, gen what's the genuine reason? It's probably because that person, in some way, is going to suffer. So uh, I'm going to... So, I, in general, I, 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 I try and find a positive motive for, for anyone doing anything. Um, but I also know that human beings are animals really and they, they do respond to quite blatant stimulus and if we have the opportunity to be lazy there's a good chance that we will and so if I know either consciously or unconsciously that I've always got the backup plan of a firefighter um, then 
I might avoid some of the more difficult decisions, whereas Alistair says, you know, can we, can we not find this out earlier in the process? Then I might avoid that because I know I've always got that fallback opportunity of, well, I can just say there's a fire and I, and I, get, I get some extra resource, I get some extra help. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a cultural thing. I think something in leadership leadership need to establish quite clearly, and, and people pay attention to what gets rewarded and what what gets attention. The plaudits. Yeah. yeah. There was something around job titles. Then, what's our experience of job titles within the scrum team? Junior and senior, wasn't it? From Andrew. What do you think about that? The leaders don't. Yeah, you're right. It is a long journey, Robin. But it might, be a, it might be a generational thing. A lot of these things take a phase of managers, leaders to move on before the next phase comes in. What was the question? Job titles. Job okay. titles in scrum teams. Yeah. There wasn't really, it was quite an open question. What's our experience of it? A junior and senior, regardless of the role. Well, but wasn't it taking some of the stimulus away from the job title? I had it. What, what my what my worst? Looking back now, my worst. I don't know if I told this story. My worst ever job title. This I think you got me this job. You're to blame. Um, was for Mike Nicholson. Okay. And I was brought in as a project planner. Really. So my sole purpose was to ensure the Microsoft Gantt chart was right. What a soul-destroying job you that was. Awful at that. I know. I got told off. I did it once. I, I, said, I did it once. I um, I created it, sent it to the boss, and I got a really shitty email back saying, "This is terrible." So that was my my worst of a job role title that I think I wish I'd never had. Mm. Um. Okay. But I think it was more around yeah how that has an impact on people's. In principle, I don't, in principle, I don't really have a problem with job titles. I don't really have a job. I don't really have a problem with junior and senior, whatever people want to call themselves. Um, because I think in in the in the in the great teams that I work with, teams the team actually doesn't care. The team doesn't care about the job title. They only care whether they're actually pulling their weight for the team. I, well, I, I question that because okay. I. I in Nokia, we had when I joined Nokia, we had the just um, management had just uh, suggested a change that no longer are we all developers and testers, mm. we are now engineers. Okay, and there was a bit of a, I think, a revolt in terms of a, a pushback that some uh, of those developers and some of those testers felt that their talent was being diminished. Which is, a, I think, it's a fair point. Okay. I, I know I can see you're trying to create this sense of T-shaped, well-rounded engineers. I get that, but I think if you're, if you've always, not if you've always been, but if you believe and your interest and your, um, you feel your value is in the the skill, having that skill removed from your role. Harry Kane, right? Not removing it from his role, you're no. removing it from the title. Harry Kane gets is would Harry Kane enjoy being called a striker or would he just be would he enjoy being called a, a footballer? I I think he's he's a footballer. 
I know. I I know he was the first person to volunteer to go in goal when the keeper got sent off. Maybe maybe the role, the position, the role isn't isn't as important. To, I don't know. It's just that's just something I remember when I just first joined Nokia. There was a bit of a you know kind of a, a murmuring of we're all bloody engineers now to try and make make us all the same. Mm. I can I you know I I do get that. I think being aware that um, we all. I think there's got to be a recognition of what we bring to the team. I think so. Andrew's question was also about junior senior. I think junior senior does have an impact because okay. that implies status. Sometimes there is, though, right? But but that can also create false communication lines. How can how how on earth how dare can a, a junior question a senior's decision? Okay, so. That's that's an assumption, though, isn't it? It's an assumption yeah. of chain of command. But Whereas you could you could have junior and senior, which is genuinely representing their level of experience, but actually valuing the inexperience. E.g., as a junior person feels that they have the need to defer to senior in circumstances where yeah. they actually know that they have senior knowledge. Yeah. So if and I, I think that's what Paul's Paul's saying there is. Excuse me. In terms of status. So, I've seen many, many highly functioning scrum teams with senior and junior in there. Yeah. Where juniors, they can they can challenge, they can they can say whatever they want, and they can come up with ideas, and seniors will back them. It's just purely reflecting the years of experience. I think as well. So, a scrum a good scrum master is deliberately disrupting them. Okay. Deliberately. So again, it was on a TED talk or something about uh, Japanese com- companies' um, policy is that all j- in a meeting, junior, mo- the most junior member of the team has to speak first. Has to speak first. Okay. It's like a kind of etiquette. So, yeah. So you're removing the anchoring. Yeah. So they don't have regardless to of whether the they're in, you know whether they're um, intellectually advanced or not, or whether yeah. they're more knowledgeable or not. They just have the, even if it's. No comment. Yeah. Just deliberately disrupting that. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that, I think that's, that can be a really powerful ritual. Uh, I think having that conversation, getting those team working agreements in place, I think is important. Because, yeah, job titles. I think yeah, if you if you put the years in, then you shouldn't really detract from that. You should, I, I think that, that person shouldn't be penalised or. or um, I don't know. Have their nose thumbed. Um, for it, Robin had a, a supplementary question there, which just popped up, which is, what about if you if you've got senior because of experience, but then you change role? So you were, for example, right. a senior developer, but yeah. then you move into another role like scrum master, where you have no experience. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, my my gut instinct is, well, I wouldn't expect that person to be called a senior scrum master. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? Um, I think so. I tried to talk about experience. Um, I won't name the company, but we had a Scrum Master selection meeting mm-hmm. and wrote on bits of slips of paper all the so that we just introduced the, the idea, the notion of a Scrum Master, someone there to facilitate and bring people together. And um, we all voted, one of we, I you can carry on talking, I'll get another drink. Okay. 
I facilitate. You're just going to disappear, are you? I'll just, just there. Okay. I'll, I'll be able to hear. Jeff will be back. I'm going to tell my story, and then I'll just talk to myself for the next five minutes. You can't hear me. So this company, um, we all selected a. The team selected wrote down a name that they thought would be the best scrum master, and it turned out to be the most. Um, Junior is a strong. I don't think is the right word. Inexperienced. So the most inexperienced team member, the team gave permission for that that relatively inexperienced team member to basically keep the keep the rest of the team um, in order, and that's kind of a the ultimate permission you need to whether you're the most experienced scrum master or scrum expert in the room or just someone who's read about it the day before then you've got permission from the team to do whatever you like what do you think hmm. yeah text it text in send us a tweet uh, send us a comment uh, I'm just gonna uh, how's the weather with you today got no one to talk to Jeff's disappeared he's at the bar uh, is your name Jeff? If you are, text in, let us know. What's your star sign? Anyone got any good jokes? <laughs> I'm passing the time. If anyone's got a different question, I'll try and um, talk about it while Jeff is at the bar getting another drink. Oh, he's back now. Did you hear anything I said? Well, I heard you asking somebody's star sign. No, I was just, I was making small talk and then permission. You know, so you weren't asking for giving permission. But before we do that, have you changed your drink? Or no, the same thing? sticking with it, I liked it, it's good. What other tips you can give to a new SM? New Scrum Master. Um, oh, we could be here a long time yeah, to do we this. Should, yeah. Um, I think we've done this before, but we'll, we can revisit it. It's fine. Maybe it's a new, new viewer. Hmm. Go on now. First thing. First tip. Um, slow down. Not everything has to be at the pace you're, you, you may be expecting. The reaction will be. And we talked about this a little bit this week. Is a good instinct is not how can I react solve smooth the process but in fact how could I be a little bit awkward about this or how could I slow it down make it actually more inefficient because it might allow us to dis disrupt mm. I think a disruptor um, something <laughs> read Jeff's book is a, is, a, is a tip from Alistair is he on commission um, no but that will be my first one number one slow down uh, but uh, Andrew must have missed the introduction, so I'm drinking a pint of Mancunian. So we're in Manchester, and this is called a Hoppy Blonde. Man Mancunian Hoppy Blonde, and it's very nice. Falls on the, the Reveller. The Reveller. Orchard, something orchard, orchard, pig, pig Orchard. Pig Orchard. Pig Orchard. orchard, orchard, orchard pig. Uh, it tastes like apples, apparently. Um, my, my number one tip would be observe and play back what you see. Uh, so if you can visualise what you're seeing to the team, that can be a huge benefit without you actually doing anything. 
without you actually having to make any suggestions or offer any advice. Just observe and play by what you're seeing as neutrally as possible. Um, and not just the team, but the system that they're operating in. Uh, you'll learn a lot, and the team will learn a lot without feeling like you've come in to change them. Mm. Would be my number one tip. But yeah, read my book. I hate to quote your book, but didn't you also say ask the team? Well, that's that's my that's my deal. That's not just for a new scrum master. That's for for any scrum master. But it's, it's also about being. Don't be afraid to admit you don't know, isn't it? About yeah, you're going to be asked some really really complex problems that no one can solve on their own. Mm. So ask for help. Try and find a mentor. Alice's yeah. tip: try and find a mentor. Ask for feedback. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, ask the team. If you're willing to learn, we had. What were we talking about in the the taxi on the way? On the way here. Yeah. Oh, somebody asked us about um, a scrum master who's who's not who doesn't get it. So somebody has. Somebody has a yeah. Gareth has a. I wasn't going to drop him in, but um, wasn't Gareth. Someone called Gareth. We'll call him Gareth. We'll call him Gareth. Uh, has a scrum master or had a scrum master working for him years ago that um, didn't, in his words, didn't get scrum and so couldn't avoid falling into command and control. And he, as this person's line manager, had to set some objectives for him um, and to encourage a change of behaviour and was asking for advice. And my first instinct was, well, is this person clear about what other people, the team, management, the rest of the organisation, are expecting from them? And have they actually been part of that agreement? And explicitly saying, this is what we're looking for. Because that person could well be interpreting the role of Scrum Master as problem solver. So they see the idea of removal of impediments as, okay, I'm the problem solver. Uh, Rather than, I'm here to create a team that can manage themselves. I'm here to facilitate team development, team growth, team ownership. So having that conversation about, well, what what is this role? What is expected of this role? Uh, Knowing that, are you happy to take that role on? And then, if you are, then you can get some feedback on it. That was, that was what came to mind there. So yeah. We've got a thumbs up. It's the first one ever, isn't it? Yeah, we've got a like. I reckon we... Maybe we don't want to overcook this, so we just do one more question? Yeah, one more question. Anything else on uh, anyone's mind? I'm quite close to the camera. See, right. Sweet. Not in my eyes. Someone's just taken my retinal scan now. No. Three okay. likes. Three likes, awesome. Three likes. Brilliant. This is some kind of record. Oh, uh, no, we do a, a spoiler about what, no, no, what we talked about last night. Favourite article you've read recently? What was that? No, perhaps we shouldn't. What we, t- what we were planning last night, I was maybe going to give a bit of a teaser. But, but I can't remember what it was. Don't worry. Okay. What was the question? Favourite article you've read recently? <laughs> um, article? Well... You've been reading about body language. I've read two books recently. I've been very good. I read um, Ant Ant Middleton's autobiography, The Guy from SAS Who Dares Wins. Interesting. Mm. I I was expecting a bit more, but 
interesting. But the most, the more interesting one, which I'm halfway through, is um, um, what every body is saying, which is a body language book, how to read people's body language by FBI, former FBI investigator Joe Navarro. Very good. Um, read people from the feet up. That's what he's saying. What tells you most about people's emotions? He categorizes it as, as uncomfortable or comfortable. Generally, the feet is the best place to start. Okay. What are my feet telling you now? Uncomfortable. Comfortable. Hmm. Why? Well, just your... You can't see this. <laughs> so, you, your legs are apart. Yeah. Your, kind of, your feet are you know, just nice and stationary. Pointing outwards. And, but generally, tucking feet well behind you would mean that you're desperate to ready leave. Ready to spring away. You're really desperate to leave. Or feet pointing towards the door, which you're not doing at the moment. Okay. But it's inter just interesting. And happy feet. So it's about happy feet. Hmm. If your feet are moving, it means you're happy. You're happy. Okay. Not nervous? No. Generally happiness. Um, I would I would say a book that I've read as well recently rather than an article is Factfulness by Hans Rosling. Uh, I really like that because it's, it started with a quiz. The book? Yeah. And it's a quiz that I did very badly on. Most quizzes are. Well, that's a bit harsh, but, um, but I wasn't alone. So it's, it's a relatively simple quiz. And... Uh, Across the world, thousands and thousands of people have taken this quiz and have scored. It's a multiple choice quiz, and the average score I think is somewhere in like 20% correct or something. Why? Because we have, in general, an overly negative view of the world. Right. And it's fed by the media. This isn't a political rant, by the way, but just, you know, because. We're generally told about negative stuff. Well, yeah, that's what makes the news, right? Yeah. Death There's 40,000 flights that landed safely today. Did you get Did you get a notification about that? No. If one doesn't, you get a notification about it. Anyway, yeah. So, so we 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 notice more negative, drastic events, and so we therefore have a more negative view of the world. When actually the world is has never been in a better state in so many uh, in so many uh, metrics. Right. So. He's a big fan of trying to get people to use data rather than their gut instinct, because our gut instinct is informed by um, biased filters and cognitive biases. And I just found it fascinating. And the the one phrase there's so much that I took out of it, but the one phrase that that really st stuck for me, and I, I I related to an agile context, is that things can be both bad and better. So what I took from that was we do tend to over-celebrate our successes. Mm. And say, so, oh yeah, that was amazing, things are going really, really well. Well, actually, things are still pretty bad. Mm. That's okay. It's okay to still be bad. But even when things are bad, they're probably still better than they were. Mm. And, and getting it's almost a bit of cognitive dissonance, this idea that something can be better and bad. And Corey, Corey likes that phrase too um, and I think that that's really really relevant to an agile context because change takes such a long time uh, we often lose track of the bigger picture and we focus on the latest frustration or the latest defeats uh, rather than actually seeing where we, how far we've come but also because if you, we shouldn't get hung up on the successes because yeah. there's still a long way to go because if you just focused on the fact that everyone thinks bad you'd probably give up 
yeah. is that what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's quite easy to take a really fatalistic view and just not bother. And I think a lot of people have checked out of a lot of stuff because they see things very overly negatively when they're not. What was the book called? Fact- Factfulness. So the idea of trying to use objective data, facts, mm. to, to um, inform your actions mm. and judgments. So, the facts are four people like that. And that's more likes than we've ever had on a live podcast. So we must be it's going in the right direction. Verging on the most people we've ever had. Oh, it was the best interaction. That's great. Amazing. It's the most something about either Manchester or this time seven thirty on a Wednesday night. Yeah. I'd be playing rugby now if I was there. Sad. Well, you wouldn't because you're injured. I'm injured. Got a bad Achilles. But yeah, thank you to everybody for joining in. Thank, thank you, you for your much. comments, questions, that. suggestions, and uh, until next time. Cheers. 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 Ta-da. Hi there. I hope you enjoyed that last episode. Amazingly, we've been going for three years now. And over those three years, we've been blown away by how many people have messaged us to tell us how it's been useful to them and how they've been getting value from it. Some have even said, we'd love to be able to buy you a pint sometime when you're in our area. Well, we're often not in people's area and we often don't know when we're going to be where we're going to be. So that's not been very easy for people to do until now. Over the years... We've also turned down repeatedly offers of sponsorship and product endorsement from companies, basically because we don't really believe that's what you'd want us to do. It's been a labour of love and we do it because we enjoy it, but we also get those messages that tell us that you enjoy it as well. So what we've decided to do is give people the opportunity to virtually buy us a pint. It's completely optional, but what we've done is we've set up a Patreon account where you can, if you want to, donate whatever you want. If you do, then we'll buy a pint in your honour and we'll toast you. Maybe we'll even invest in enhancing the kit so the quality of the podcasts go up over time. Maybe we'll also buy some advertising to reach more people and hopefully help more people. Like I said, it's completely optional. But if you do enjoy and get value from what we do and would like to buy us a virtual pint to show your appreciation for that, then you now have an opportunity. It's at patreon.com slash theagilepubcast. Cheers.